have two readings today. The first one is from Micah chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, followed by Matthew chapter 6, <coughs> verses 5 to 15. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established at, at the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And then from Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. At my um, wedding, when I got married, my best man was from Colombia, and so English was his second language. And um, he was also a fairly new Christian. He'd only been a Christian for a couple of years. And so uh, praying was one of the things he found really hard to do as a new Christian with English, not his heart language. He, he found prayer, particularly out loud, really hard to do. Being the, um, the kind of nice guy that I was, for some reason I thought it would be a good idea to ask him to say grace at the reception. But you know what I did, or what I didn't do? I actually forgot to ask him if he would be happy to do that. So he found out he was going to be praying out loud in English when the MC announced Camillo is now going to lead us in prayer and say grace. <laughs> You should have seen his face, I'll never forget it. He just kind of looked at me in horror. I had a picture actually, of uh, which I think must have been taken after that because he just did not look happy at all. He just looked at me in horror and I whispered back, I just sort of whispered back, sorry. Now, everyone, everyone has a, a sense of, of what prayer is. 
you know, even even people who don't know God have a sense of what prayer is. But prayer still is one of those things that so many of us find hard to do. Even if it's not public prayer, even if we get to pray in our heart language, many of us still feel unsure about how to pray. And especially if you're a new Christian, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if you feel this. Or if you're a teenager, I wouldn't be surprised if you find prayer hard. And not just public prayer, but even with prayer on our own, we find it a bit of a challenge. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then maybe you're not even sure what you think of prayer at all. Well, today, like Brian said, we're starting a three-week series on a part of the Bible where Jesus teaches his followers how we should pray. And so if you find prayer a bit of a challenge, then this is kind of like gold here. Because Jesus is, is teaching us what we need to know. In Matthew's uh, account of Jesus' life, um, he includes five large blocks of teaching. And we're going to be look, looking over these next three weeks at that first large block of teaching, which is often called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really talking about what it looks like to be children of God. What it looks like to be children of God. And in the part of the Sermon on the Mount we're going to be looking at, he's talking about what it looks like to be sincere children of God. Not hypocrites, but sincere children of God. And we're going to look at just one small part within that, where he talks about what it looks like for sincere children to speak to their father. How we pray. So Jesus, in this section, he says, don't pray pretending to be talking to God, but really you're just trying to impress those around you. He says that's hypocritical, that's insincere. And then he says, don't pray pretending to be wanting to talk to God, but really what you're trying to do is force his arm to give you what you want. That's hypocritical, that's not sincere. You know, I don't know if you um, have experienced this, but with my kids, I, I hate it when I pick, it up, pick them up from school and the very first thing they say to me when they come to the car is, do you have any food? <laughs> so that's not a sincere kind of way of relating to someone. You know, it's not, not a loving, respectful way to relate to someone. And to speak to God like that, you know, like he's some kind of divine vending machine. The more you press the buttons and the faster, the more you'll get out of it. It's not a sincere way to relate to him. And so at this point in in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually teaches what sincere prayer, what sincere conversation with God actually looks like. And he says in in verse 9, he says, This then is how you should pray. And what we see from what Jesus goes on to say is that prayer realigns us. Prayer realigns us. It, it, it realigns our thinking with God's way of thinking. Realigns our heart with God's way of feeling. And it, it realigns our actions with God's kind of actions. So we're, we're going to start to see this today because we're just going to look at the very start of the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing we see is that prayer should realign us relationally. Prayer should realign us relationally with God as our Father. I should pray in a way that realigns me with God as my Father. 
Now, it's, it's easy to miss the significance of this. Uh, you know, Jesus teaches us not to pray in some vague way to some vague God. He teaches us not to pray impersonally or even formally. He says in verse 9, This then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven. We have someone who knows us, knows all about us, who already knows what we need. We have someone who, who cares about us and is looking out for us. I don't know if you know some really great parents. There's, there's some parents I know that just sort of, they're just amazing. You, you, you aspire to be like them. They, uh, they make you feel terrible as a parent. But think of the best parent you can think of, the way they, they care for their kids, the way that their hearts go out for their kids. When their kids are, are joyful, they're joyful. When their kids are uh, suffering, they're suffering. I mean, all parents are like that. But think of the very best parent you can think of. Well, when we speak to God, we speak to a father better than even the best that we can, human father that we can imagine. There's a, there's a quote that goes something like this. To have a child is to decide to have your heart go walking around outside your body. Have you heard that before? To have a child is to decide to have your heart go walking around outside your body. That's what it feels a bit like to have children. And to think that God thinks that way about us. It's mind-blowing. To think that He genuinely wants us to speak to Him as our Father because we're His children like that. When you realise that, it realigns your thinking, realigns your feeling, realigns your actions. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our world tends to depersonalise God. I think we tend to do it as well. We tend to depersonalise God. We tend to think of him as cold and distant, maybe like a cold, distant force. Or our world tends to think of him as kind of warm and kind of vague, sort of spirit. Either way, that's depersonalised. It's depersonalising God. Jesus teaches us, we speak to God as Father. That is incredibly personal. And it's not something actually we should take for granted. You'll read all the time that, that Jesus talks about God being his Father. But it's actually, it's actually pretty rare to hear him talk about God being our Father. It only happens four times in Mark's Gospel. It only happens once in John's Gospel. It's really significant where it happens, but it's only once. But it's actually not rare in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about God being our Father 16 times. Only five more times in the rest of Matthew, but 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus is teaching us in this sermon is that He, the, the true Son of God makes it possible for us to become and be real children of God. And as children of God, we get to speak to Him as Father. He wants us to speak to Him as Father. Now, is that how you pray? This kind of prayer, it's only possible if you know God, if you follow Jesus. It's only possible if through Jesus you know God as Father. But if you do follow Jesus, then 
when you speak to God, you speak to a, a father whose heart burns for you more brightly than the heart of any parent you can imagine burns for their child. Prayer should realign us relationally with God as our Father. The next thing we see is that prayer should realign us with reality. Prayer should realign us with reality, with God set over and above all else. So Jesus teaches us to pray in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I don't think I've ever met a person yet who uses the word hallowed in their everyday conversation. Anyone here know someone like that? No. <laughs> I think about the only time we use hallowed is if we're kind of using it in a tongue-in-cheek way. So, you know, you might say, oh, I went on a, a tour of the Adelaide Oval and they let us walk out onto the field. It was like walking on hallowed ground. We might use it in that kind of joking way. So what, is, what exactly is Jesus teaching us when he uses this word? Well, to help us figure that out, let me give you a, a list of words and see if you can find what's in common with all these words. Okay, so saints, holy, consecrated, sanctified, hallowed, sacred, what have all those words got in common? You'd never really know it in English, but do you know in the original language, it has the same word behind all those different words. The exact same word. I don't know why English takes a different path like that. Now, that helps you a little bit. When we pray, hallowed be your name, you know, we could say, may your name be consecrated, or, or may your name be recognised as sanctified, or may your name be treated as holy helps a little bit, but that's still a bit confusing, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, the basic idea behind all those words is the idea of something being set apart, something being special or distinct, something being reserved for the most important aspect of life. That's behind all those words. And so for us to pray, hallowed be your name, it's to pray that God's name would be <coughs> set apart as the most important aspect of life, that God's name would be honoured, revered, and treated as the very centre of reality. Now, it's hard to capture this with just one English word, but essentially we're saying to God, may your name be recognised as being set over and above all things. But even that's still slightly confusing as to what do we mean by that. You know, what do we mean by God's name here? The other day, uh, one of my kids asked me how I thought they could become famous, you know, how they could make a name for themselves. And I answered straight back to them, you could streak at the Adelaide Oval. <laughs> they weren't particularly impressed with my suggestion. But that's one way you could make a name for yourself. And, and when we talk about making a name for ourselves, we, we usually talk about becoming famous in a kind of egocentric way. That's, that's kind of more what they were asking me than what I said. But when Jesus teaches us to pray that God's name would be recognised as being set above and over all else, he's not just talking about God being famous. He's teaching us to pray that God's reputation, his character, 
his plans and his heart for his world, his, his very essence and being would be seen as the centre of all reality. But that's what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. And this is not an egocentric kind of thing like it usually is when, when we want to be famous, when we want to make a name for ourselves. Because unlike us, God really is the centre of the universe, the centre of reality. And our lives and, and our world does so much better when it sees this, when we long for his glory. Because the reality is either we long for God's glory, we long for God to be glorified, or we long for his glory to be eclipsed by something else. It's binary, actually. It's one or the other. You're either longing for God to be glorified in your life, or you're longing for his glory to be eclipsed by something else. And if we long for something other than God to be glorified, then we should be clear what we're longing for. Because to eclipse God's glory, even if it's just a tiny bit, is actually to eclipse truth and justice and all the things that God is. Compassion, love, kindness and humility, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, all those kind of things. Either God is central and He's glorified, or God is eclipsed, displaced in our minds and hearts along with who he is, and along with what is truly good in this world. As we pray, hallowed be your name, we are realigning ourselves with seeing that God is at the centre, set above and over all things. And that's a very good thing. And what we're doing is we're asking for God's glory to be seen more and more, more in our lives and more in this world. Is that how you pray? Is that how you pray? This is the this kind of prayer is what you grow in actually. Like like you grow in how you relate in relationships. Uh, it's it's a little bit like a marriage grows as as you figure out how to love the other person better. You kind of get better and better at loving. Or it's um kind of like a relationship with a child. You know, as you figure out how, especially an adult child, as they figure out how to love you, you figure out how to love them. You actually grow in it. Well, you grow in your relationship with God in this as well. You learn to pray things more and more, seeing how God really is at the centre of all reality and how this is such a good thing. Okay, so we've seen prayer should be relational with God as Father. We've seen prayer should realign us with reality, with Him set over and above all things. And the final thing we see today is that prayer should realign us geopolitically. Prayer should realign us geopolitically with God's kingdom as our life's goal. Now, geopolitically, that sounds a bit funny, right, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like I'm about to say you should go and join the Ukrainian or the Russian army or something like that, or become a spy. Now, I don't mean something like that, so if you've got... Um, ASIO there on hold, you can hang up. <laughs> really what I'm trying to say is that prayer should realign your allegiance. We should be living for the kingdom of God. But I've used the word geopolitically because that's not normally the word we kind of use. That's a word we'd use for something else. 
The problem is we so easily tend to compartmentalise things. We very quickly relegate what Jesus is saying to a, a realm that we call the spiritual realm. And so the way, you know, this kind of semi-irrelevant realm called the spiritual realm, and this, that means the way when we do that, the way we pray is affected. We pray for those things which are relevant to the spiritual realm. And meanwhile, we get on with the real world. We get on with building real kingdoms all around us. But Jesus is, is teaching us to pray to God, to speak to God in a way that realigns ourselves politically. Our goal is not an Australia where fruit and vegetable is affordable. A country where people have a fair go at buying a house and educating their kids. Our goal is, is not a, a world where China kind of backs down and stops scaring us. And it's not that we don't care about these things. It's not that we don't want these things. It's just that they're not our ultimate goal. Because God's kingdom is our life's goal. We should pray in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a very powerful line. That's an allegiance, declaring an allegiance kind of line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, how do you think Jesus' followers there gathered around him on the Sermon on the Mount, how do you think they would have heard this? They're Israelites. They've got all the Old Testament prophecies. Their great hope, and now our great hope, is a Messiah King who will rule this world in justice and peace. Jesus is a political king. He's not relegated to some separate, safe realm that we call the spiritual realm. When you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're not praying in that prayer for democracy to spread over the face of the earth. What are we praying for? We're praying for a theocracy where Jesus will physically rule this world as king. Now, that is a pretty huge realignment, don't you think? A huge geopolitical line. And just before you get ASIO back on the line, let me explain what this does and doesn't mean for us. What it doesn't mean, and this is where so many people make a mistake. It's an understandable mistake, but it, it's a mistake. What it doesn't mean is that we try to create God's kingdom on earth through the politics of today. That's too small, too small a vision. We don't try to create God's kingdom on earth through the politics of today. That's not the re realignment that Jesus is teaching us to pray for. Because God's kingdom comes when it comes fully, when Jesus comes back. But God's kingdom, it starts to come even as Jesus gathers these people around him and teaches them to pray. And it comes as he pours out his life for them and for us on the cross. And it comes as he pours out his spirit on them and, and then on us. And it comes as one person after another individual person comes to call God the Father. That's how the kingdom of God comes. And getting 
the timing right is actually critical here. God is, is bringing, he is bringing a political, physical kingdom. And that happens when Jesus returns. But right now, God's kingdom comes as person by person comes to see the wonder of Jesus and comes to live for him. So to pray your kingdom come in our time, in this time, is to pray that person by person will come to Jesus. And as they come, they'll bring their life entirely to Jesus and entirely to God's kingdom, ourselves and others. And as we speak to God in this kind of way, it, it realigns our minds. It, it realigns our hearts and our lives. We don't live for Australia. We don't live for our own personal kingdoms. My career, my family, my castle. You know, the, the paradox of this, of course, is as I live for God's kingdom, it, it, it makes me a better citizen of Australia. It makes me a better employee of my boss. It makes me a better family uh, member. But none of these things have my allegiance like the kingdom of God has. So is that how you pray? This is an, a, another area where we, we grow in depth as we grow in relationship with God, knowing him better and better as Father. As we grow in understanding of who God is, his character, what he's on about, our prayers get deeper and deeper in this area. Now, what Jesus teaches us to pray here, he doesn't have in mind that we'll kind of recite it like a mantra. You know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You could probably all join me in that. But it's kind of sad and ironic that that's sort of almost the way that we pray this prayer. Well, at least Christians have for many years, like a mantra. Jesus doesn't have in mind that at all. He has in mind that we'll speak to God with these words as a template. Each of these things that Jesus teaches us to pray, they're like a template in that each one opens up a whole world of prayer. We pray relationally to God as Father. That, that's a doorway to a world of prayer. We pray that God would be set over and above all else in our lives and in this world, that's another doorway to, a, to a, a whole world of prayer. We pray that God's kingdom would come in our lives and, and in this world, another doorway. Can you, can you see the way that Jesus teaches us, opens up a whole world of prayer? I was, I was trying to think how to illustrate this, um, maybe from my own prayers. And I was, I was thinking about the way I pray for my kids as a, a way to, to uh, give you an example. Then I thought, if I'm honest, the way I pray for my kids is actually quite a bad example at times as well. Because um, the truth is, I'm a bit hit and miss. Sometimes I pray through the way Jesus teaches us to pray with the template. But sometimes I just pray that they won't wake up grumpy today. <laughs> and that the morning will go well. And there's nothing wrong with praying with that, of course. But if that's all I pray, if that's it and nothing else that I'm praying for them, then I'm not really following what Jesus is teaching us here, the, the template he gives us. But some days I, I do follow the template when I talk to God about them. So pretty often I, I'm, I'm asking God to bring them to that point in their lives where they really know and feel 
that God is their father, where they put their faith in Jesus and and they're keeping their faith in Jesus. Quite often that's what I pray. And pretty often I, I ask God to help them, help them live for him above all else. I pray that they wouldn't live for money or fame or sport or fun or popularity. I pray that they'll, they'll live for Jesus. And when I'm, I'm following this temper that Jesus teaches us, I pray that they put God's kingdom first in their lives. I pray that they'll figure out what that looks like at school. I pray that they'll figure out what that looks like at, at youth group when they come here. That they wouldn't come here for themselves and what they get out of it. But they'd come here thinking, how do I, how do I serve God and live for Him? How do I serve God's people and love them when I come together for youth? I pray that one day if they get married that they'd marry someone who can help them live for Jesus, someone who loves Jesus like they do, who can help them live for his kingdom. I pray if they don't get married, that they'll live for Jesus, that they'll, they'll advance his kingdom. I pray that houses and cars and holidays and mountain bikes and anything like that won't be what they live for. I, I pray that they'll find their identity in Jesus and not look within themselves like the world so powerfully tells them to do, to find themselves. I pray that they won't look to their sexuality or their expression of gender to define themselves or their academic achievement or their sporting achievement or popularity, but that they'd look to Jesus for their identity and live for Him. And I pray that if God wants, He'd use them to advance his kingdom, however he wants. Maybe just in their families and workplaces. Maybe by going as a missionary. Maybe by going into ministry. And you know, when I'm really brave, I even pray that they would so live for Jesus that they'd be willing to lay down their life for him and his kingdom if that's what he wanted. Now, like I said, I'm pretty hit and miss in that. Some days I just pray that they'd be quiet and go to sleep now. <laughs> But sometimes I pray like Jesus teaches us to pray for my kids. And, you know, whether it's praying for my kids or praying for your kids, whether it's praying for your kids, praying for your workmates, praying for yourself, praying for your country, Jesus gives you a template for a whole world of prayer here. Prayer like that. So let me just summarise as I finish what Jesus has taught us about prayer so far. We're going to see more in the next couple of weeks. We've seen you, you pray to God as a loving Father. A loving Father who's giving you His full attention. He's listening. You pray like that. You pray to God that, that you and everyone would see that life is all about Him. Life is all about him. He is set over and above it all. And it is good for us to see that. It's good for our world to see that. Because he is the source of all good. If he's not at the centre, then what is? Things that aren't good. It's good for us to see that. It's good for us to pray that way. And you pray to God that your life's goal would be the goal that he has. That his kingdom would come in your own life and in this world all around us. His kingdom would come. And God loves it when we pray like that. And as we pray like that, God changes how we think, how we feel, 
how we live, it, it realigns us every time. Now, if you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, I wish you were, actually, because prayer like this is for children of God. It's a privilege of children. I had on the, on the slides to show you a famous picture, you might have seen it before, of um, JFK, President of the United States, uh, a while ago. Uh, it was a black and white sort of picture. There he is in the Oval Office in the, in the White House, and at his feet, underneath the desk, is a, is a little kid playing you know, and chatting to him. And um, the reality is, you and I, I don't think are ever going to sit at the president's feet underneath his desk like that. We just don't have that kind of access. There's some presidents I wouldn't feel really comfortable sitting at their feet like that. I've got to say it'd be a bit awkward. But, but that is the privilege of children. Only children have the president's ear like that. And you know what? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you are not a child of God. You don't have that privilege, that access. But you can have it. You can be a child. God is the father of whoever follows Jesus, whoever comes to Jesus. And that prayer where you first speak to God and give your life over to him, that is actually the start of a lifetime of an eternity of a loving father listening to every single word you say. It's the start of that. Have you ever prayed like that? Let me um, let me pray for us right now. <coughs> father, we just stand in awe of the kind of God you are, set above and over all things, and yet so longing, your heart burning for us to come to you, to call you, Father whether for the first time or for the millionth time, you just long for us to speak to you. It's just mind-blowing that you would care that much about us, that you would send your own son to die for us so that we could have access to you at all times, in all places. Lord, please change our minds and our hearts, our lives, to see the kind of God you are, to come to you relationally, not impersonally to long for your glory because that is to long for everything good and to live for your kingdom and long to see your kingdom grow in our own lives and in this world as person by person comes to call you Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.